by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. to the signs of the times, uh, even this morning, or, or I would say uh, looking at this, this weekend, as people last night were preparing our communion bread, our, our, our bond, um, this morning we had uh, uh, prayer going on from 8.45 to 9.45 with prayer and worship. We had um, our children's church director and teachers having training sessions this morning upstairs from, uh, from 9 to 9.45. Um, <clears throat> we've got all these things going on. Yesterday, the, the alarms go off in the church because there's people here at 7 o'clock in the morning coming to clean the church. Uh, all these things are, are happening, and it just seems to me that if you're paying attention to the season, if you're looking at the signs of the times, God can bless you. Somebody say Amen. amen. I had this picture, this vision of these, these rivers that are flowing, and as a congregation, as members of a church, you can pick whichever river you want to get into, but just jump into one of them. If you felt like praying today, there was somebody who was leading that charge, and they were here to pray, and the table was set. All you have to do is show up and jump into prayer. If you want to be led as a teacher to grow on how to minister to kids and how to be ministered to as you are being used to minister to kids, there's somebody leading that. All you have to do is jump into that river. This morning, uh, we, we pulled up into the into the parking lot and the whole park over there is packed with kids playing softball. Our, uh, our uh, sidewalk sanctuary evangelism uh, ministry leader, Junior, pulls up to church, goes straight across the street and begins to outreach. That river is flowing. You can jump in if you want to jump into these things. It's got to be more than just coming in and out of church. Somebody say amen. amen. But if your eyes are closed, you can't see the signs of the times. If your heart is not open, you don't understand what season you're in to be able to jump into it. But God is moving. Somebody say amen. amen. So that's how we're going to start it off this morning. Our, our uh, series um, is titled Signs of the Times. <clears throat> we want to be able to see some of these things. I'm going to start us off with Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And testing him, speaking of Jesus, testing him, they asked him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. 
This is Jesus in the church, and they're saying to him, show us a sign. Tell us what's going to happen. Tell us how it's going to happen and who you are and what you're doing. He says, you guys are hypocrites. You can look up at the sky and tell if it's going to be good weather or bad weather. You know what to wear. You know if it's going to rain and have an umbrella. But when it comes to the things of God, you can't see the signs of the times. And he's talking to the church. Say church. Church. Say me. me. He's talking to us and saying we do not see the signs of the time. In the natural realm, in the normal realm, we see it. And we're able to adjust our lives and adjust the way that we do things because of what we see. He says, but in the heavenly realm and in the spiritual realm, for some reason it remains a mystery to us. And we're doing no adjusting. We're doing no preparing. Our last series, Holy Day Seasons, I think it was a good prelude to this series because we looked at seasons and we looked at cycles and we looked at these things that were going to take place year after year after year. And he's saying, look, it happened the same last year. It's going to happen the same this year. If you just pay attention, you'll be prepared for these cycles that are going to continue to roll through. It's kind of like our meteorologists, how they look at things today, right? When we had... Uh, Thanksgiving this year, what meteorologists do is they look at historical data, what's happened in the years past, and then they try to prepare you for what's going to happen this year, and then they always look back and say, how does what's happening now or this year compare to what's happened last year? So this year at Thanksgiving in Southern California, it was 90 or 91 degrees, and they said that this is the hottest Thanksgiving in the history of Southern California. How do they do that? Like I said, they backtrack and they look at everything that's happened in the past, in all the different seasons that have rolled through, and then they compare it to what's happening right now. And they give you that, uh, that comparison. When we look at going beyond these seasons and holy day seasons into signs of the times, what we're going to be looking at is not only what has happened in the past and, and how, does that, how does that compare to what's happening today, but how does what's happening today prepare you for what's going to happen in the future? We looked at the cycles, we looked at the seasons, we're looking at past years and what the temperature was on Thanksgiving compared to what it is now. But what is what it is now, what is God trying to prepare you for, for what's going to happen tomorrow? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. He's saying, look, it's good to know that rain is coming tonight, Right? For the first time in history on whatever particular date it is, you realize that rain is going to come. And thank God that you're able to read the, read the weather and know what kind of weather's coming. But he says, if you can't look to the future and say that the rain that's going to actually come today is going to cause a flood and the levees are going to break and people are going to be flooded and people are going to die, what good is it to know that rain is coming today if it doesn't prepare you for what's coming tomorrow? Somebody say amen. God calls the church and every believer to number one, evaluate the historical data. What has happened in your past? If you're going to be ignorant to it, if we're not going to evaluate what's happened year after year after year, there's no hope for your future. You have to evaluate your historical data. But you also have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will filter what's going on currently in your life in a way that prepares you for the future. Let me say that again. Evaluate the historical data for what's happened in your past but then let the Holy Spirit filter what's happening to you right now to prepare you for the future. A lot of times when I look at my life and I look at the lives of others, we don't evaluate historical data very well because we're back in the same situation we were six months ago or six years ago. That means you're not even looking at what's happened in the past. And then we find ourselves in a current, and many of us, many what I would say is people who maybe have their eyes open, they're open to the Spirit, they can see where we are currently, and they're saying, 
the levees are about to break. <laughs> Prepare yourself. Get ready. Look at the signs of the times. Look at where you are. Look at what's going on in your life. We have to be able to read the signs of the times if we're going to be ready for what's ahead. That applies to our marriages and our relationships. It applies to what's ahead of our children. It applies to what's ahead of you in your own personal walk with God. And primarily, it applies with knowing what God has next in the plan for all of creation. If we haven't realized that yet, it really isn't all about us. Somebody say amen. On Wednesday night, powerful Bible study, and we're talking about some things that we've already learned, but we were being reminded that most of us put ourselves in the center of um, our worldview about what's going on, right? It's about me and how I'm affected by all these things that are going on. And everything that God does, it filters through me and then on to whatever else it's going to do. But we have to remember that we aren't the center. God is the center. And he has a plan for all of creation. And if you're not reading the signs of the times with that knowledge that it's not necessarily all about you and your family and your issues, you're going to miss it. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Are we eagerly waiting for the second coming of our Lord and Savior? I mean, it's a more difficult question, I think, to really answer if you really want to wrestle with it. Are you really eagerly waiting for the second coming? Did you wake up this morning and say, dang it, I thought he might come last night? When something happens to you, do you say, stop, I'm going to evaluate this in light of the fact that I know that the Savior is coming again. It's not going to ruin my world. It's not going to take all of my focus and all of my attention. I'm waiting on something that's more important than what I'm going through today. Romans 8.22 says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Say now. Not only that, but we also have... who. We also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So you get all three of these layers in this one scripture, Romans 8, 22 through 25. It says that creation is groaning with labor pains, which means something happened in the past. Somebody say amen. amen. You don't have labor pains unless you got pregnant nine months ago. Somebody say amen. amen. So you got the past, the historical data. I'm in labor now because of getting pregnant in the past. And now I'm laboring and I'm growing when? Now, in the present, right now. And he says, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for birth. Right? He says, but all of creation is waiting. Even we, we have the first fruits. We are, in our holy day season, we saw the feast of first fruits. The Bible says that we have the first fruits of the resurrection, the, the uh, resurrection power of God, that the same way that Jesus came back and he also got a new body, one day you and I are going to get the same thing, so we wait for it. But if we're not reading the signs of the times, we don't really have hope. It says, if you hope for what you already see, that's not really hope. You already got it. But if you're hoping for a second coming, if you're hoping for a resurrection, if you're hoping for a new body that doesn't ache, if you're hoping for relationships that don't have at the same time uh, love in them but also hate within them, you'll hope with perseverance. So I want to pray. 
Lord, I thank you for this series. I thank you for a foundation you're laying. I thank you that we have historical data to evaluate and to look back upon the things that you've done and the things that we've done, Lord God. I thank you that this morning we are alive and we have air in our lungs, Lord God, that we are here in the present, that there's something you're doing, something you can do, something that you want to do, Lord God. I also pray that you would open our eyes to see the signs of the times, Lord. What day and age do we live in, Lord? It's not the year one. It's not the year 30 AD, Lord God. It's 2007. Going into 2018, there's something specific you have for us. We have to open our eyes and see it, Lord God. Let your will be done, Lord. Don't let it be just another season of coming in and out of the church, Lord. Let it, let it be a season of change and transformation, Lord God, and awareness, Lord. When, once we have understanding, once we have that education, Lord, nobody can take it from us, Lord. Open our eyes and, and just impart into us, Lord, things that will be forever ours, things that will be uh, forever changing who we are and who we become, Lord, the generations behind us as we prayed for them, Father God. Let us not be ignorant. Let us be wise men and women uh, who belong to you, Lord. Have your way with this series. Have your way with every heart and with every mind, Father God. We love you, and we want to see uh, the signs that you have to show to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so signs of the times. In week number one, the sign that we're going to be looking at uh, is this one here on the screen. It says, coexist. How many of you have seen that sign somewhere before? Seen it on a car, seen it on a bumper sticker, seen it in a commercial. So here's the question. Can we coexist? Can we truly coexist? First, we need to be able to read the sign and know what it actually means. Many of us have seen it. Many of us have a, maybe a, a perspective or a thought on what we think it means. But let's see what it, what, it, what it really does mean. I think initially when we see it, it seems simple. It seems non-offensive. It seems like a call for all religion and all ways of life just to be able to live together and live in harmony. And it doesn't seem so like so much of a bad thing, maybe. So... The C represents Islam. In this case, there's, there's a couple different variations of it, so if you look it up, feel free to do so. Look up what they mean, but in this particular case, the way it's written here, the C stands for Islam. The O stands for, for peace, a peaceful lifestyle. The E is for equality of men and women. The, the arrow and the upside-down cross there um, is for, for the signs for men, male and female, right? So this equality. The, uh, the X is for Judaism, right? That's the Star of David. The I is for paganism, right? So multiple gods, a, a bunch of different types of gods. So you can go back to um, Egyptian history. That would be pagan, all the different gods that they have, the Greeks, so on and so forth. The S is for Taoism, right? Right, yin and yang, Taoism. And then the T there is the cross for Christianity. <clears throat> So as you really look at this, what the world or those who have this philosophy are really saying is that if you refuse to accept this philosophy and embrace coexistence, you lack love and you live in hate, right? So it's not just a bumper sticker. It's not just a cool picture that people have put out there. It means something and it says something. What they're saying is you should embrace this idea of coexisting. You should embrace this idea of freedom of religion. You should embrace this idea of everybody getting along in harmony. And if you don't, say don't. don't. Say don't. don't. And if you don't, you have something wrong with you in the area of love, right? 
You are actually living in hate if you don't embrace this. In our, on the post that, that went on online for our series, it said, contrary to what the world says, um, coexistence is not the same as embracing coexistence. What the world wants you to do is not just coexist and say, hey, we can all kind of live this way. What they want you to do is embrace it and celebrate it. Amen. Be careful. We know that this is not true, but the majority of people outside the church believe this. And you know what's sad? A large contingency of people inside the church have embraced this. To each his own, right? I mean, it's not that big of a deal. If we want to go to this church, you want to go to that church, you want to live this way, we want to, it's not a big deal. Let's just live in harmony. Be careful. Let's look at it again. So this C for Islam has one God, and Muhammad is his prophet, and we all know that everybody else is an infidel, and if they won't bow down to, to Muhammad, that they deserve to be beheaded and die. Amongst other things, we're not going to go into all the details of Islam, but that's ultimately, in a nutshell, what they believe. This idea of, of living by peace means no war and to each his own. We can all live however we want to live. We can all do whatever we want to do as long as we leave, leave each other alone and we don't want to fight and we don't want to have any war. But we all know what happens to nations that don't have an army. <laughs> That's not a reality. That does not actually exist, much less coexist. This idea of equality of men and women sounds great up front, but that's not where that stops. It's not just about men and women having equal value, which is what Christianity says. I mean, you have Adam, you have Eve created, you have a helpmate who is made like you, you're both made in the image of God, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. What this says is that it actually blurs the lines of gender. It's not just they both have the same amount of value. It's that, that the line between men and women should be blurred to the case where it does not exist. There is no point in having male um, identity and female identity, which is what Christ has put inside of us. Judaism, which sounds like, oh, man, that's close enough. We should, we should be down for that, especially because we love Israel. But that's God without Christ. It's God without Christ. Paganism. It includes witchcraft, sorcery, Satanism, mysticism, and go down the line. It's one thing to say, oh, we like Ra, the sun god. It's another thing to say that also within paganism are all these horrific and horrendous ways of worship. If you read through the scriptures where they do things like child sacrifice, it would all be cu coupled underneath paganism. Taoism, this equal and opposite, good and evil, is a system that initially would make sense because that's what we see in the world, but it's also about the weight of one or the other. If, you're, if your good outweighs your bad, you get the benefits when your life is over. And then Christianity says there's one way to be saved from eternal damnation for all people. So there's one very simple truth here. The only way for these to coexist is if none of them is true. Think about it. The only way for these things to coexist and slap that on your car and say it's a great principle in philosophy is that none of them could actually be true. Because if one of them is true, they cannot coexist. Our ignorance is staggering sometimes. It's one thing to be in the world and to think that. It's another thing to be a Christian and to think that coexistence is possible. Another truth is that they can't all be true. Right? 
either none of them is true or they can't all be true, right? There can't be multiple ways to God. We can't have peace and defend ourselves. We can't have uh, lines blurred between what a man and woman is and then God tell us what a man and a woman is. They cannot all be true. So here's what I believe. The real sign of the time is that Satan has sold people a pseudo-religious existence. When you look at this and the amount of people who embrace this idea inside and outside of the church, what Satan has done is he sold us a bill of goods. He says, listen, you can have this religious experience, but it's a pseudo-religious experience. It's not a real religious experience. In this pseudo-religious experience or existence, the focus is not on meeting our maker who is God Almighty. It's about experiencing something or anything that's beyond yourself and truth is not required. Does that make sense today? I hope you're with me. Listen, what Satan is saying is, look, we, you want a religious experience and I'm going to give it to you. It doesn't have to be real. It doesn't have to be focused on meeting your maker. It doesn't mean that there is an absolute truth. It doesn't mean that there's a God that you need to engage with. All it means is you have to have some experience that's beyond yourself. You can get that in yoga. You can get that in mysticism. You can get that in tarot reading. You can get that in, in, in uh, however you want to get it, you can get it. You know why? Because truth is not a requirement. And people embrace it. And if you read the Bible, the Bible tells us why we're going to embrace it, because those religious experiences do exist. But here's where the whole thing begins to crumble, is when true Christians begin to bring truth into the equation. That's where the system falls apart. If you take that system and you just apply it, it might work for a whole bunch of people. I won't even say might. It is working right now today for a whole bunch of people. But when a a Christian comes along and says, hey, I'd just like to apply some truth into this equation, the whole system crumbles. John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Ephesians 4.14 says, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth. Say truth. Truth. Say truth. truth. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, who is the Christ. Listen, there are going to be other doctrines. There are going to be other mantras. There are going to be coexistence movements. And what the Bible is saying is, listen, don't be tossed to and fro by that stuff. Don't have this religious pseudo experience and try to build your life upon it because it's sinking sand. He says you got to grow up. He says it's trickery and cunning craftiness and the deceitful of men. He says, but we have to speak the truth and we have to speak it in love. And we got to grow up. The call of God is not to coexist, but to be separated. And we must see the sign of the times. God isn't calling us to coexist. Somebody say amen. amen. Hope it's not a rude awakening to you. Actually, I hope it is a rude awakening to you. God's not calling us to coexist. He's calling us to be separated. He says, if you don't see this sign of the time and be separated... What you'll end up doing is denying the word and the will of God in the name of pseudo-peace and pseudo-love. Because the world will say, look, if we just do this, we'll have peace. And if you just do this, you'll experience love. But it's pseudo-peace and it's pseudo-love. 
and it denies the word of God. I had a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, tell me, probably it's been a, been a couple years now, but he told me, we were talking about God and a short conversation. He said, I could never be a Christian because I don't hate gay people and I don't see anything wrong with having a drink. And I couldn't even respond. I couldn't even respond. I couldn't even get words out because it just really rocked my world because I'm like, number one, you and I are friends and we've been friends for a long time. You know I'm a Christian and you know I'm a pastor. It blows my mind that that's what you think a Christian is. It just, I couldn't even get words out and it was convicting because I said at the same time, I said, I got to be partly to blame for that because I'm one of the, the closest examples of a Christian that you have, which means you must think that I hate gay people and I think that you'll go to hell if you have a drink. Here's the thing. People are judging our faith in ignorance, number one. And then they take that ignorance and they draw conclusions that lead to a place where they feel like they have to teach us about love and about peace. If a friend can tell me that this is why he won't be a Christian, this is what's wrong with me, and if, he, if I really want to love people, and if I really want to have peace, I need to change my worldview and I need to change how I treat people, it shows the level of ignorance there, but it also shows the level of ignorance in my life and the level of, of just lack of light and lack of salt that somebody that's close to me could even think those things. What about you? Wow. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Right. See, in our ignorance, we waver in what we believe and we turn a blind eye to what we should see as a strategy of the enemy. It's a clear sign of the times that we live in. This, this idea of coexisting, this, this conversation I can have with a friend that many of you probably could have if you were having conversations with your friends, it's a sign of the times that uh, this, the enemy is clearly up to something. <laughs> but we turn a blind eye and we waver in our own faith. We're silent in the face of adversity at times. And many times we're silent, not because we don't want to, to tell the truth, but because we don't know the truth. And he says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. It's pseudo-peace, it's pseudo-love, it's pseudo-spirituality. God's calling us as Christians to recognize that, that it's more than a bumper sticker. See how many you see this week while you drive our streets while you drive your freeways, while you go back and forth to work. It's not just a couple of people. It's a movement of normal, everyday Americans, but it's also a movement within our political structure. It's also a movement within our schools. We don't even have boys and girls. Do you guys understand what's happening? Do you see, do you see that like the enemy is actually up to something, or is it just, hey, I want to coexist too? Who am I to write my counselor? Who am I to say something to the principal? Who am Come on now. It's a sign of the times that we're living in, and it's taking the people that we love and care about to hell. So here's what I think the coexistence movement is truly all about. It's about uncertainty versus certainty or surety. Right? You can only say that if you're just not sure that there's a right way and that there's truth. If you have surety, if you have certainty, you could never say this in the way that they say it. See, I know that there's only one way. We sang that song today. 
one way. Jesus, you're the only one. Are you? Or are we coexisting? <laughs> is there one way or is there multiple ways? Because you can't just sing it in here and then go out there and act like you didn't sing that. I believe there's one way, and I believe that it's a narrow road. Matthew 7, 13 is why I believe it. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and, hey, put that down, put the picture back up. I'm sorry, Zach. So, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Wide, that's wide. And it's broad, and anybody can find whichever one that suits them or fits them and makes them feel good, makes them feel like they're having a higher power experience. I don't have a Jesus, I have a higher power. Like, it's all there for you. It's wide. Wide open. What do you want? You can have it. Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. That last T right there, it's narrow. And it's difficult. On Wednesday night, we watched the video of the scourging of Jesus Christ. That's difficult for you and I to get in. Amen. And then you got to put your faith in him and him alone. That's difficult. And then you got to deal with being ostracized and being called a hater when you're really a lover. Amen. That's narrow and difficult. And the Bible says there are few who will find it. You know why there are few who will find it? Because the other road is so wide and so open and without persecution. Romans 1.16 says, But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The, the power of God in the gospel is not just for certain people. It's for everyone. And it's for Jews and it's for Greeks. It's for everybody on the planet. It's not just an isolated few that it sounds good to. Romans 4.20 says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. This is where I stand this morning, and I, and I encourage you to think about where you stand this morning, but I live the rest of my life trying to help others see and receive the truth. I'm not wavering. I'm fully convinced. I don't have to, to be confused about what I believe. I know the truth. I know it uh, unequivocally. I know it without doubt. I know the truth. So for the rest of my life, it's not about trying to negotiate with people. It's trying to find the most, the wisest way to get the truth out to other people. When I stopped having that conversation with a friend of mine, it's not because I didn't know the truth or want to share the truth. It's because I realized that whatever I've been doing for the last X amount of time is not working. So I need to reevaluate, get a new tactic, and then come back again. Please don't confuse that with being one who wavers. Amen. See, there are people who never say anything, and if you're just looking from the outside in, they, you would look like they were confused or that they were wavering or that they didn't have a, a strong faith or strong belief. And there are people who may not be saying anything, and it's not because they're wavering or confused or don't have a strong belief. There's a difference between somebody that will never say anything, but watch those other people. They will come back. They will uh, go on another offensive. But those who have, have been wavering for a long time and you can't remember the last time you were on an offensive and you've never seen them go on offensive, you might want to check and see if they're just coexisting. We are called to be countercultural. We have to fight against the current. The world has, has very strong momentum. 
But God doesn't use that as an excuse for us not to fight. Like, the current is coming. There are more physically in the world who are against us than there are who are with us, which means it's going to be an uphill battle and that there are going to be forces coming against you. It doesn't matter. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? Like, if you expected to go into work and be like, hey, there's 100 people who work here. Are there 51 who are with us? No. (laughs) There's not. But God doesn't say, okay, therefore, just go with the flow. Coexist. Roll with the current. He says, no, you have to fight against the current. You have to be countercultural. You have to be willing to be ostracized. You have to be willing to say things that people don't want to hear from time to time. If you're not willing to do any of those things, man, check your salvation. What was the point? Here's the reality. We cannot coexist when it comes to anything spiritual. If it comes to anything spiritual, we cannot just coexist. And here's the thing. The longer I serve the Lord, the Lord, the more things that I see as spiritual. Right? So in the beginning, it might be, what's spiritual? Well, going to church, worshiping God, reading the Bible. Okay, that's all that's spiritual, which means I just won't waver on the church I go to. I just won't waver on the Bible that I read. And I just won't waver on the way that I worship. But the longer you serve God, you realize that, man, there's a whole bunch of spiritual things in your everyday life. And we just can't waver. We have to be countercultural. Yesterday, I was at a youth basketball tournament. It blew my mind when it came to the atmosphere I was in and just the sheer number of people. They were on top of each other. I walked into this gym, and number one, it's like the hugest gym I've ever been to. And number two, they, they, they only give you like this much space between courts. There were thousands of people. I'm not joking. Moms, dads, teams, colors. It was like, wow, look at this. It's crazy. So between games, it's me and Nate, and he's playing around, and one of the dads comes up to me and says, oh, what, what team does your, your son play for? I said, oh, he doesn't play. He plays in a rec league. And he says, oh, he's got, some, he's got some good skills. You know what I mean? Like, why don't you put him on one of these teams? I said, honestly, I'm wrestling with it because I do. I want him to be able to play against this kind of competition. It's not the same competition in the rec league. I said, but we are, we are very involved in our church, and we just ain't going to be able to do this. And listen to what this dad told me. His son is the same age as Nate, and he was like, Oh, yeah, you know, my my family used to be very involved with the church, too. And he says, we made a decision. He says, we have two older kids that weren't allowed to do all these things. We have two younger kids that we want them to be able to do these things. He said, we made a decision that we were going to do this priority and and church was going to be second. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I used to run hot and now I'm lukewarm. I'm sitting there. He doesn't know I'm a pastor. I'm sitting down and he's standing here talking and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, like, how, how could you even say that? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to just put it out there. Like, are you, try, are you trying to convince me that I too should be lukewarm and put my kid here? Or are you trying to convince me that you made the wrong decision, but you just can't get out and don't do it, Vaughn? I'm, I'm, I'm honestly astonished that he's sitting here telling me this. He said, I used to run hot, but now my family runs lukewarm. So when he opened that door, I was like, well, look, I'm going to go ahead and walk through it. <laughs> Let's not stop here. You put it out there. Right? So I walked through the door. I said, well, hey, listen, the fact that you're able to talk to me like this, I don't think that you're necessarily in danger of losing your salvation. You obviously know who God is. You know what it's like to be hot. You know that you're lukewarm right now. Your salvation is secure in Christ. I said, but here's what you need to be aware of, sir. Just because you might not lose yours, 
You need to be very aware that your son might never find his. So even as I'm having this conversation, I'm like, how, how is he saying what he's saying to me and how am I saying what I'm saying to him? But I know I'm about to talk about the signs of times. I don't care. I'm going to be countercultural. I don't care if it offends you. It's just the truth. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to take it one step further, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't. What I wanted to do was call his son over because they were right there. My son's here. His son's right on that side. I wanted to call his son over and just be like, hey, tell me what you know about Jesus. And I know, I just believe that he would have stuttered and he would have stammered and he would have staggered and it would have been embarrassing or sad as a dad to know, look at the money you're spending, look at the time you're spending, look at that you know where you should be and you know that you should have a hot faith and look at where your son is. And then I was going to call Nate over and say, you tell us what you know about Jesus. But I stopped short. So I was reminded that I can give my kids all the same opportunities that other kids have. Because on that side, it was a little convicting, right? Like, man, look at what these kids have. I was reminded I can give my kids the same opportunities that anybody else has without fear, as long as I remind them, as long as I remind my family, as long as I remind my church, and as long as I remind every coach and every team that we, the Jareds, are countercultural. Right? It's not that my kid can't play. It's that here's the parameters. Don't expect to see him on Sundays. It's a blessing if it happens from time to time. Here's the parameters. If it ever conflicts with the things of God or if my son's salvation ever becomes in question, if his understanding of right, wrong, who's first, who's last, what your commitments are, just so you know right up front, we are countercultural. We do not just coexist. We may look like we're the same as everybody else in this gym and on this team, but we are not. We refuse to coexist in the way that the world means it. We won't. Ever, never, ever, ever, ever. But how will the world know that? You'll be presented with opportunities just like I was yesterday. And you better say something. And you better do something. And if you find yourself in a long season, because this is what will happen too, you'll find yourself in a long season where nobody has asked a question. And nobody said anything. And then, just like we talked about on Wednesday, or maybe it was last Sunday, I said, if you're, if you're in a place where you're not starving, you have to create hunger. Yeah. Anybody remember me saying that? Amen. Amen. If you're in a place where there's not an opportunity to be countercultural, you have to create an opportunity to be countercultural. There's absolutely no reason, there's absolutely no reason right now why they can't play or why they can't go or why they can't do this, but you know what, I'm going to create one. Just so we can rock the boat a little bit. Just so we can put it in people's face that, hey, there is something more important. You have to create it, not only for those people, but for your own kids. I was thinking about it today. Obviously, this is on my mind, right? <laughs> I was thinking about it this morning. My daughter has a one-time recital um, at Chino Hills High School tonight at 6 o'clock, in case anybody wants to go. Message. <laughs> but she had practice all day yesterday. She has a recital today. And I was thinking to myself, what would I do if Niall was playing soccer, if Nate was playing basketball? And there's no reason. Like, he could probably get a ride. He could probably do some other things. But she, I said, you know what, for me, what I would probably do is like, hey, family, Jarrett. Because you're nine years old, and I can't really teach you this when you're 17 and you're playing varsity somewhere, I have to teach you now, hey, the Jared family is going to go act a fool for Naomi tonight at 6 o'clock. And whatever else you had planned is not going to happen. And then if somebody were to ask you why it's not going to happen, we're going to sit down and tell them, I'm so glad that you asked why he can't be here today. 
We just think that it's so important and so valuable for our kids to support one another that sometimes they don't play sports when the other one's playing. Sometimes they don't go to games when the other one has a recital. It's not like the whole world is doing it, but we're countercultural. We believe that it's going to have a significant impact in who they are when they're 17 and who they are when they're 25 and who they are when they're 40. And I don't have all the time in the world to do it. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The world says, let's just agree to let each other bow down and worship whoever they want. Let's not get too worked up about it. Let's just coexist. Deuteronomy 8, 19 says, If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. That's different than what the world says, right? Do what you want. It's okay. Just don't hurt anybody. We don't care if you're into porn. It, it doesn't hurt anybody. Just do it in the privacy of your own home. Unless it's somebody else's daughter. Unless it's your sister. Unless it's your daughter that got trafficked because she was in a restroom with men because you didn't want to say anything to the school. Well, then it matters. And people joke. We have to stop the joking. I was at work and somebody said, oh, that place used to, be, used to be a strip club. And then some other man says, uh, it's called a gentleman's club and those ladies are dancers. And you know what? I'm still convicted because that was an opportunity for me to be countercultural and I didn't take it. I just sat there and like I always do, my mind is just going a million miles an hour about what I should say and how I should say it. But I should have said something along the lines of what I just told you. What if that's your sister? What if that's your daughter? Is it a gentleman's club? Are those gentlemen? Bow down to whatever you want. Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which our fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We don't play like that. We don't joke like that. We don't live like that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it says, The devil took him, speaking of Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Coexistence is about who you're going to bow down and worship. So who are we going to bow down and worship? I'm going to read this chapter to you guys. Daniel chapter 3 says, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and it's with six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word together, or excuse me, word to gather together the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all officials of the province to come to the dedica dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It means everybody, the whole community, the whole world, the government structure, the normal work structure, the families, everybody. Verse 3, the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, judges, magistrates, all the officials uh, came to this dedication as he had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4, then the herald cried out, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of a horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 
So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, languages, fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the word or hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, they shall fall down and worship the gold image. I, or excuse me, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and in fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them, saying to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. If you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image that I've made, then good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We won't coexist. We are countercultural. I'm glad that we are noticed as counterculture, and they even called us out and brought us before you. Has anybody called you out for being a Christian lately? Has anybody called you out for being countercultural? Then are we? Or do we look like everybody else because we're coexisting and bowing down when they bow down and staying silent when they stay silent? Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was so hot that when they put them in there, they died while they were trying to put them in the furnace. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace, and King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So... <laughs> these men coexisted in the world in a biblical way. Not in the way the world tells us to coexist. They coexisted biblically. What does that mean? It means this. They lived in that nation. They had to live in that nation. They had to work in that nation. But when the opportunity came to say, who is it that you bow down to? They did not waver. We won't bow down to you, we bow down to God Almighty. And whatever the consequences of that are, we are ready to endure it. And it says this, they were not pulled out of the fiery furnace. 
Christ came into the fiery furnace with them. The problem with us is we want God to deliver us from everything instead of saying, Lord, strengthen me to go through and come with me wherever I have to go. Amen. The reason why we coexist and we run with anybody and everybody and we roll with everything is because we do not want to be singed. Don't get too close to me with that fire. I'd rather be silent than say something that might have me be persecuted for being a follower of Christ. See, we live here, we work here, we play here in these leagues. But whenever there's a conflict or confusion between who we are in Christ and who we may appear to be in the world, we have to make it clear at any cost. You can't live somewhere else. You can't work somewhere else and you can't play somewhere else. But there's gonna be times of conflict where you know in your heart that it's not clear who you are in Christ to other people. It's not clear who you are in Christ, sometimes to our own families and kids. And whenever that happens, we have to be willing to make it clear regardless of what it cost us. Regardless of what it cost us. So I want to bring this down to a close. I want to make three clear points. The first is the past. Say the past. The second is the present. Say the present. And the third is the future. Say the future. Past, present, and future. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth who had a lot of this coexistence stuff going on. It's one of my favorite scriptures in, in, uh, in all the Bible. Paul comes into Corinth and they have all these altars set up all over the place about the different gods that they like and the different gods that they serve. And they have this one plaque that says to the unknown God, right? So Paul comes in and he says, I want to tell you about the unknown God. You know that there's another God that you don't know, but I know him, so let me tell you about him. Does that make sense? Somebody say amen. amen. So that's the context of what Paul's about to say here. He's saying, listen, we are surrounded by a bunch of pagans who believe in all kinds of stuff, but we have the truth. So this is how Paul addresses it. He says, we then, 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we then as workers, together with him, also plead with you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumult, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? 
And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Wonderful, wonderful scripture. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 17. So let's break it down. First one is the past. The past is about salvation. Say salvation. Salvation. Paul takes us on a wonderful journey here. I hope you receive this for our first sign of the times. The first two verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just verse 1 and 2. He says, we then as workers together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. That's a quote of Christ. Paul starts off talking. He says, but Christ says, I heard you and I helped you. And today is the day of salvation. Everything that we've talked about so far this morning is contingent upon a past salvation. Without salvation, this doesn't make sense. But with salvation, nothing else makes sense, right? If you know Christ, if you called out to him one day, whether it was earlier today or 20 years ago, if you called out to him and he says, I heard you and I helped you and I saved you and I pulled you out of death and into life, out of darkness and into light, then everything we're talking about, about not coexisting, it makes clear sense to you this morning. But if you don't have a salvation, coexistence makes more sense to us. He says, please don't receive the grace of God in vain. That's how he starts off this chapter. What it means to receive the grace of God in vain is to say this. I received salvation from God, which means he told me to be in the world, but not of the world. But if your salvation has been, or the grace of God has been received in vain, what you're saying is, I received salvation and I'm not only in the world, but I'm also of the world. That's salvation that's been received in vain. It has no separation. Salvation, what he does is I take you out of your old life. I take you out of coexisting. I take you out of the same consequences with everybody that you're with, and I place you in a new place where you're in the world, but you're not of it. The past for all of us has to begin. We have to be able to look back on a date. The meteorologist has to be able to say, you stand where you stand today because of what happened a while ago. And that's what we're comparing it to. The past is about salvation here in 2 Corinthians 6. Jesus says, in the past, I heard you and I gave you salvation. Has that happened to anybody? Somebody say amen if it's happened to you. All right. About four or five of us. Has that happened to anybody? Somebody say amen. 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 The present. Say the present. present. Present is about the truth in love. Right? 2 Corinthians 6, 2, at the end of that verse, he says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I want you to understand this. Salvation is a constant state of being. We can look at it as something that took place on a day in the past, but it also has to be something that is very real and very clear to you today in the present. I don't look back and say, oh, man, I remember when I got saved. I look back and say, I remember that day that led to the place that I stand today, which is a saved man of God. It's a constant place and state of being. It's the ongoing work of God that makes me be able to say, I am saved today. I'm not, I don't say, hey, I'm saved because of a work that Jesus did on October 22nd, 2004. I say, hey, I'm saved. Why are you saved? Because on October 24th, uh, 22nd, 2004, God 
showed me the light, confirmed that I was saved, and today he's still holding me in that place. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Why is there light today? Because he's still holding the light. The problem with why we don't want to be singed is because it's so much easier not to be singed when we look back on the date that he did something and we don't understand that today he's still holding us. If you see yourself in the hand of God, how could you ever let somebody talk about him the way they do? How could you ever not defend your actions in the way that you live? I stand today because he gave me life and he sustains my life. When I sing songs that say, you are the air in my lungs, it's not just a song I'm singing. I don't believe I have life without you. Who am I to deny you? The present matters. Jesus says, now is the day of salvation. It's not yesterday, it's now. Every day when you wake up, it's now. And then Paul tells us, and the Corinthians, he says, let me show you what that looks like, okay? Stay with me. He says, let me show you what it actually looks like. And I want you to compare what Paul says about now, the present, what it means to be uphold, upheld by the power of God to be saved and be alive. Paul says, this is what it really looks like. And I want you to compare this to what we know about the bumper sticker that says coexist. Listen to what Paul says. We give no offense in anything. Why? So that our ministry may not be blamed. This is verse 3. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. A real Christian gives no offense in anything because they don't want the ministry of God to be affected by it. We don't get on Facebook and post nonsense because people will apply what we say and put that on God. Amen. So we don't do that because we ain't about to offend people. <laughs> A real Christian. What else does he say? He says, we do it in much patience and in tribulations and needs and distresses. We don't waver when it's good. We don't roll. And when it's bad, we complain and we act as if God's not real. No, he says, we do this, real Christians, with patience and in tribulations when we have need and when we're distressed. Then he says, we do it with strife. We're actually getting beat and in imprisonments and tumults, labors, sleeplessness and fasting. He's, listen to what he's describing. This is not what the world thinks we think a Christian is. I'm imprisoned. I'm beaten. I'm sleepless and I fast. Then he says this in verse 6, uh, we also do it by purity and by knowledge. We're not ignorant. We read the word of God. We don't live like the rest of the world lives. We maintain our purity. Amen. Then he says we do it by long suffering and kindness. People continue to treat us bad and we respond with kindness. Amen. People continue to cheat us and make jokes about us and ostracize us and we respond with kindness. Then he says, how do we do that? In verse 6, by the Holy Spirit and by sincere love. Not pseudo love. Not coexist. Not we make you think we love you because we allow you to do whatever you want to do and say whatever you want to say because we love you. He says sincere love. Then he says in verse 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand. By honor and dishonor. We serve the Lord and we show the light of Christ when we're lifted up and honored amongst men. And when we're dishonored, we still show the love and the power of God. He says, with evil reports and good reports, listen to this, as deceivers and yet true. Think about that one, so powerful. See, when you have that list of coexist, we sound like the deceivers. When we tell everybody we can't coexist and either one is true and the rest are false or none are true. 
but they can't all be true, right? We sound like the deceivers when we say Jesus is the only way. And what does he say? In verse 8, as deceivers, but yet we're true. It doesn't matter if we sound like and look like deceivers if you know you have the truth. Verse 9, we do it as unknown and well-known, as dying and yet behold we live, as chastened and not killed. Everything that any of us have been through because of the, the cause of Christ, you're still alive. We've been chastened, we've been beaten, we've been bruised, yet we live. See, when you read the Bible, it's true. We're living it, we experience it. Verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Last week, I sent a message to the leader saying, I'm done, I quit. And then today I'm preaching. Why? Because as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We can be heartbroken, we can be tired, we can be angry, we can be frustrated. But the key and what, what, what is the litmus test when it comes to being a Christian is there's always life. Even if you say, I'm done and there's no more life, you wake up and you're like, dang it, you gave me life again. I can't quit. It's like a fire set up in my bones. There's no stopping me, not because I'm so powerful, but because you are powerful and you live inside of me. David said it like this. He said, I can't escape you. David says, I cannot escape you. He says, listen, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I try to escape you and I go to hell, you come after me because you leave the 99 for the one. I can't get rid of you. The last one says, as poor, yet we make many rich, as having nothing, and yet we possess all things. Now, here's what it really means as a Christian to coexist in the present. That's the list. Second Corinthians chapter 6. That's the list. Make that your mantra. Make that your list. Make that like, look, when I say I coexist, this is what I mean. When your bumper sticker says you coexist, that's something completely different. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. And while we're having the conversation, I don't mind being seen as a deceiver because I know I have the truth. I don't mind being beaten and imprisoned in the process. I don't mind being slapped in the face and being told that this is what you believe and this is what you need to believe and having to take a back seat and say, Lord, help me to be able to express who you are and your real love in a way that is more palatable and able to receive for my friend who I love and care about and I don't want to see him go to hell. We need to stop playing with God and we need to stop playing with church. We need to stop playing with coexisting, and we need to stop living in ignorance as if these things aren't going on around us. The last one is the future. So we got to speak the truth and love in the present. We have to remember that God is upholding us in the present. We cannot do any of those things if we don't have a past of real and true and solid foundation of salvation. And then in the future, if we have those things, what we need is a continued separation, not a continued coexistence. Verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 6 says, O Corinthians, we spoke openly to you, and our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Be open to us. See, we tell the world that they're not restricted from coexisting because of us. In actuality, We've done more for the coexistence that they want than any other people group on the planet. Please hear this. Listen to what I'm trying to say. The people that want coexistence in, in the world sense, right, that we should all get along and we should all be together and we should all be able to live and do whatever we want to do, we don't inhibit that. As a Christian, I, can't, I don't stop you from living that way. 
What I actually do is I do more for your own cause than anybody else does. Why? Because I speak the truth in love. I'm willing to be imprisoned. I'm willing to help you and feed you whether you're a believer or a non-believer. I'm willing to have you cut our heads off and then send missionaries to you. We are doing more for your own coexistence than anybody. So don't blame the Christian for, the, for a lack of love or a lack of peace because it's just not the reality. And if you're open to actually seeing it, well, why don't you be open to hearing what we then have to say to you? Amen. If a Christian lives like Paul just explained here, we haven't hurt their coexistence at all. We've helped their cause. So here's what we have to say, and here's what we have to continue to say in the future. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I'll dwell with them, I'll dwell in them, and I'll walk among them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. What we say in the future is come out from among them and be separate. There is no coexistence. Light has nothing to do with darkness. Christ has nothing to do with Satan. Life has nothing to do with death. Lies have nothing to do with truth. And the sooner you come to that understanding and realization, the more effectively you can move forward in your future. We call people to come out. Come out into salvation, and then once you've been saved, come out into sanctification, Amen. period. We have to say it from a past of our own salvation. We have to say it from a present of our own sanctification through suffering. If you're not willing to be sanctified through the suffering that Paul described, you'd be better off just keeping your mouth closed. Because we become a hindrance to the cause of Christ. Does that make sense? We have to continue to say it in the future until Jesus returns. He didn't come back yet. This morning when you woke up and you said, dang it, I thought it was last night. And he wasn't, he didn't come last night. You have to get yourself ready and say, today, I'm going to continue to say, come out. Come out and be separated. How I say it, when I say it, why I say it, the tools that I use to say it, they may change because our weapons of war need to be effective today in 2017. But I am going to say it. Why? Because my eyes are open and I see the signs of the times. I know what time it is. I know the world that I live in. And I know that there's an enemy taking my friends and my loved ones to hell, destroying marriages, destroying families, taking kids. We thought we were just playing ball. And then you spend eternity in heaven without them. Hebrews 9.28, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Worship team, would you come? <clears throat> Signs of the times. What is happening in the world that we live in? What are you seeing at work? What are you seeing at school? What are you seeing in the sports leagues? What are you seeing in just your everyday life? Is God trying to show us anything? Are we only able to see backwards into uh, the decisions of the past and, and maybe see a little bit into our present? Or is our God the God that knows the end from the beginning?
My Bible says that he knows the end from the beginning, which means he can prepare me for what's going to happen tomorrow. I serve the God that can compare or prepare me for what my son will be up against when he enters into high school. I serve the God who can prepare me for the attacks that the enemy is going to bring against my wife and I over the next few years. How does he do that? In the past, he says, look at the cycles. The enemy is pretty consistent. In the present, he says, get yourself out of the center and put me at the center. And then in the future, he says, just read the signs of the times and I'll prepare you. Why don't we stand? <clears throat> so, I said here that without a past of salvation, none of this makes sense. But with a past and a history and a foundation of salvation, it all makes sense. The mystery is revealed. So if you're here and you're not saved, maybe it doesn't make sense to you this morning, but it can. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. And the Lord says, when you believe, you'll see. If you're here this morning and you believe that we can all just coexist and it all be worked out in the future and there's many ways to God and all that kind of stuff, I'm here to tell you that it's wrong. It's not the truth. It's a tactic of the enemy to give people pseudo-peace, pseudo-love, and pseudo-spirituality. There's only one God. And there's only one way to him. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You have to believe in Christ. And then you'll see the Father. You'll see heaven. You'll see forgiveness. You'll experience it. But it all comes down to a decision. Anybody ready to make that decision this morning? Like, you want to give your life to Jesus? You want him to be Lord of your life? You don't believe that there's multiple ways anymore? You don't think that everybody we know is going to go to heaven regardless of their faith or their religion or if it's, you know, tarot cards and yoga or if it's Islam or if it's Judaism. If you believe that Jesus is the only way but you've never given your life to him, would you raise your hand? Say, I want to be saved. I want to stake my claim that I put all of my faith in Jesus. Anybody, first time, want to do that this morning? Thank you, Lord. So unlike what we usually do here, I got a second call before the last call. If you have done that, I want to see who those people are here this morning that say, you've staked your claim in Jesus. You know and you believe that there is no other way. All of your trust, all of your hope, all of your future, all of your understanding of what it means to have salvation and eternal life is wrapped up in Jesus. If that's you and that's what you believe, would you raise your hand here in this place this morning? Let's look around. Let's keep our hands up if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's only one way. Amen. You can put your hands down. So the last call, quickly I want to pray for are those who would say they want to begin to coexist according to the word of God and not according to the enemy's world movement. 
Not pseudo love, not pseudo peace, not pseudo spirituality. If you see and you recognize in your own life right now that you've been coexisting, but you've been doing it the way the bumper sticker looks, and you kind of maybe have begun to accept that idea or that mantra that that's how we show real love and that's how we get real peace and that's how the world should work. If you feel like you've been, at any way been leaning that way or acting that way, but this morning you want the power of God, you want the strength of God, you want to redirect your life and be able to say, no, I coexist in the way that the Bible says, the way that we saw in Corinthians today, that I am countercultural, that God would give you strength to speak when he gives you the opportunity, that God would give you that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith to be able to say, hey, we were always in this world, but I'm sorry you were confused. We're not of the world. We will not bow down to what you bow down to. We will not laugh at what you laugh at. We will not just roll with wherever you're rolling. If God gives us an opportunity to swim upstream or to be countercultural, I need that strength. If that's you, would you come forward quickly so we can pray with you before we go on to communion? Anybody this morning? Hallelujah. We can worship. Go ahead and worship. We're going to pray for just a few minutes with those that want to be counted. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.